it's such a privilege to be here with you ladies. I am so honored that she asked me. Um, I, I was so excited that she asked me, but then I thought, I don't know why she's asking me. She has like all of her scholarly friends, but for some reason, God allowed this for all of us today, but I'm very thankful. So um, last week, she was in Ephesians chapter one, uh, where we, we heard from Paul that God was unveiling this mystery of the church, and it was, he is revealing his eternal plan in choosing all of those that he has predestined um, to come into his family. And Deidre loves that metaphor of the family. I do too. But she spoke so much about how we are adopted as God's children. And, um, and then it kind of speaks about the, the glory of the church is that one day, as right now in the church age, Christ is, is winning people to himself and he's building people up. And one day he's coming back. That's our great hope as believers. And he will unite all believers under himself. And he is the head over all of the church. So Paul puts that all out there in chapter one. And now today we are going to be in chapter two. So the whole chapter two is where we're headed. Um, it's in, if you remember that fun word that Deidre taught you last week, pericope. It's like the, the academic way to say section. There's two sections in Ephesians chapter two. There's two pericopes. Um, so the first one is one through 10, and, and he's going to tell us how we are made alive, made alive in Christ. And it's this amazing picture of what God does for us. And then the second half, 11 through 22, he is going to uh, tell us how we're one now. So we were, we were singular, alone, dead in sin, and God made us alive. And then the rest of the chapter, he, he, he feeds off of that and he says, but we're not just one singular, we're one body. And he starts developing his theology of the church. Um, and so Paul, you probably noticed, likes to talk. And he has sometimes whole chapters that are like a parenthetical statement <laughs> in some of his books. Um, last week, Deidre told you that um, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 is one sentence. <laughs> I can relate. Can't you relate? You just get so excited and you start going and going and going. And then you realize, I need to come up for air. Um, but chapter 2 is very similar to that. 1 through 7 is one sentence. And God is the subject of that one sentence. And we believers are the object of, of the sentence. And then he has three verbs where he, it says God as the subject. He took believers. He made us alive. He raised us up with Christ. And he seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. So that's where we're going today. And after we get that picture of he seated us, then he's going to say why. He's going to tell the beautiful reason why he did this. And so, um, so that's where we're headed today. Doesn't that sound awesome? Yes, I think so too. Um, but so when we talk about this awesomeness, he's, he's first going to reel us back in to a dark reality. Because Paul knows and God knows, unless we have an understanding of our true self apart from God, apart from Christ, we will never have the appreciation of his 
amazing grace. So we're doing that. We're going to talk about being made alive. You guys probably even saw it in your book. It's one of my favorite quotes. Deidre had it in week two uh, at the front of that week, a quote by Ravi Zacharias that says, um, Jesus does not offer to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. And that is the message really for today. So before we dive into the text, um, do any of you love that show, Fixer Upper? Chip and Joanna Gaines, don't you just want to binge watch? You just kind of, you say, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, I'm going to do what I, I'm going to clean the house, I'm going to go to the grocery store, and then it's on, and you're like, oh, just for a minute, and then there you are, you're like binge watching like three episodes. Uh, that show just pulls you in with all their cuteness and all their sweet transformation, the way they do this amazing miracle to a house where they find some lucky family that has kind of this tattered sort of needs a lot of help situation. And in 60 minutes, they like renovate this beautiful place into a palace and it's amazing. And you're like, why didn't they pick me, right? Uh, it's amazing what they can do. Run down to renovate it in 60 minutes. Um, okay, so picture, picture a different show called like Made New Masterpiece. Do they have something like this? Don't tell me if they do. I wanna pretend it's my idea. This is where you have a rundown house and it's like, it's like one of those homes where you're like, we can't do anything with this. We, we just gotta start over, right? So they just bulldoze the whole thing, level out that ground, lay a new pour, you know, lay a new setting, pour a new foundation, new beams, new walls, new everything, right? That is Ephesians chapter two. He did not come to make us a better version of ourselves. He's not remodeling, you know, the, the bad parts. He is new, complete, completely new situation, um, what he does with us. That is the testimony of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, um, he has made all new. The old is gone, the new has come. That is what we're studying today. And he's not just bringing in some shiplap and chandeliers, but he is truly resuscitating a dead life. And I love that. So let's get there. Let's go to the text. Ephesians chapter 2, you can read with me, uh, verses 1 through 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. This is bad news. This is really bad news. We are dead we are not sick, we are not bad, we are not in need of a remodel. We are dead. There's no, there's no hope. Uh, one of my favorite Bible teachers, Warren Wiersbe, says, the only difference between one sinner and another is the state of decay, <laughs> right? Because there is no communication. You do not communicate with the dead. The dead do not communicate with God. There is a massive gap of separation. 
and we are dead in our transgressions and sin. Some people, it's really an American way of thinking, um, is that we only need a remodel, right? Like, we're not that bad, or we're more good than bad, right? You've heard this. You know that's, um, that is a making light of sin, because the, the Bible teaches that we are dead in sin, we cannot get out, we have no hope, not even able to make a move toward God because we are dead. We literally can't do anything. But not only are we just separated from sin, but our sin is like, is rebellion. We don't like to call it that because we like to call it other names that sound better, um, that are, you know, nicer to deal with. Like, oh, I'm, you know, just a little bit lost or a little not, not my, having my best day or whatever. But the reality of our, when it says, in verse 1, dead in your transgressions and sins, these are obstinate, rebellious acts against God. Sin is serious. Sin separates us from God, and we cannot overcome it. Um, It also says, all of us are gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. We were, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air. All means all. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? No one escapes that gap that exists because of our sin. This is the reality of where we were. Um, And you've probably heard that you have three enemies, right? The world, the devil, and your flesh. Those are three enemies um, of believers, but also you fit in those categories before you came to Christ. And so this dead in sin um, nature follows the ways of the world. It's that the world, when, it, when scripture says the world, the Greek word is cosmos, it's saying that whole, that whole um, satanically organized system that's against God and his purposes. Do you ever feel like the world is against me? Yes, it is. I have a 13-year-old, and she's like, oh, the whole world is against me today. And I say, yes, they are. And, and I'm going to be too in a minute. But, um, but yes, the Satan's organized system of the world is, by its nature, opposed to God. It is. The world is against you. Um, Satan is against you. One of my favorite Bible teachers um, Chuck Swindoll, you probably know him. That man's written like 99,000 books. He's awesome. But he said, he leaned in and he said, it's not that Satan dislikes you. He leaned in and he said, he hates you. And I was like, ah, that's scary. But it's true. Satan hates you. He hates everything a believer is about. Because he and his whole system is opposed to God. And not just opposed to God, an enemy of God. And that is what we were when we were under the tyranny of that sin. Um, you, and so, um, so we're under all that. And not only that, but our flesh. You've heard of the weak flesh. Oh, my, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. I just read something recently um, about, about that, and he said, that weak flesh is a strong, powerful enemy. 
And it is so true because we have the system of the world that's against us. No one is affirming this biblical um, desires for us, this biblical call on our life. The world will not affirm that. The world is opposed to that. And Satan hates you. And also your flesh is a powerful enemy. Yes, so all of these things are going against you. And because of all of this, that we're locked into that tyranny of sin, we, Scripture says, verse 3, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Objects, literally in the Greek, children. Children of wrath. You think of children and their parents, they have a close relationship, right? There's There's no closer relationship on earth than a parent and a child, right? And so scripture is saying our relationship before we have Christ is, a, is, is as close to God's wrath, not a child of God, but our relationship is close to God's wrath. And that is the reality before Christ. Now, I'm getting a little sick of this subject. How about you? We need some good news, ladies. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 is a hopeless, desperate picture of a person before they have Christ. And they deserve wrath. That's the testimony of Scripture. So anyone that tells you otherwise is part of the world system, and they're against, they're against that. So, of course, they don't want to believe it. Our old condition is dead dead to God. Look at verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. So the wrath of God is not where the story ends. We have to know that before we can appreciate. Have, have, it's like going into the jewelry store. Do you love to go to the jewelry store? Right. I am in desperate need of a, of a jewelry store right now because uh, this was not part of my talk. I'm sorry. I just, I, I just feel like I have to get it out there. We can move on. But after 20 years of wearing my wedding ring, I, I developed a gold allergy. Yes, so my finger is literally like oozing and peeling off if I wear that ring. And so I gave it to my husband. I said, looks like I need a new one. And he took it and said, okay, and our anniversary is coming up. And so I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to get a new one. And my friend said, I hope you're not disappointed. (laughs) And he did tell me, babe, I haven't done anything with that ring. And so I'm just like, okay, I have these like rubber things that are like, They don't come close to bling, right? Okay, you go into the jewelry store and you just are mesmerized by all of that like dizzy diamond coma. It's amazing. And you just see all these sparkles and you're like, ah. But when you want to look at one, what happens? The jeweler pulls out this black velvet, right? He gets the black dark velvet. And this one pulls it out and puts it on there. So you can appreciate the brilliance of that one against that deep backdrop. That's what we're doing here. That's what, if you see where you were, that deep darkness, 
then the riches of God's grace are so brilliant when we understand where we were and where we are. And I, I love the jewel thing because who doesn't, right? So it is with the gospel. If you don't grasp the, the reality of your position before Christ, you will not have a, an appropriate worship to God of what we have now in his glorious grace. So we read in 2, um, 4, but God. Deidre loves to say, this is a big but, y'all. This is the biggest but. And you have probably heard Deidre say that because she loves to say that. This is the biggest but, okay? But God. God is the subject. We are the object. And he did three things in a miraculous way. The strongest contrast. God's love has done three things. He made us alive. We were dead and now we're alive. Like uh, Jesus says, you have crossed from death to life. Death to life. A whole new realm of living. We did not make this move toward God, but scripture says when we were unlovely, unlovely, we were hostile. We were antagonistic. Remember the system of the world and all of that? That was us. And so even when we were like that, God came to us, which gives me hope for my preteens because I think they don't do anything to deserve my kindness. I'm sick of them. But that is not what we read in scripture. So I keep going and I keep praying. There's a hope for a better day, right? Um, but we have nothing on our own to do, but God in our hostility toward him scooped us up. He took us from death to life. And he raised us up with Christ where we have a positional, spiritual, resurrected life. We live here, but we know, like Deidre talked last week about using your mind to know the hope that he has called you, to know your glorious inheritance. He has adopted you as a child, so you have all that he has. It's my favorite line in the prodigal son story where the older brother got mad and he said, son, all that I have is yours. And that is, that is the testimony of us right now, too, as God's children, where he raised us up, he made us his children, we are with Christ in a powerful and unique position. And by the way, that resurrection, just like Jesus' resurrection, when it talks about in 119, it says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I don't do word studies unless my professor tells me to. But I did one on this. And that power, um, it is not, it's, it's a Greek word, dunamos, which kind of sounds like dynamite, right? Dynamite blows stuff up, right? That's what dynamite does. No, this is different. I don't know why, that's where English goes wrong because that is not the right root for dynamite. Because this power, this power that he seated us up with Christ this power that's available to all of us now through the Holy Spirit, that is God's creative power to bring nothing to something. That is creative power, dunamos. And that is the power within us. So he made us alive, he raised us with Christ, and he seated us with Christ in the heavenly realm. Christ is alive, he is living, he is seated on his father's throne, and he is coming back. And we are with him. So it's like we had nothing, deep, dark, transgression and sin, tyranny of 
everything without God. And now it's not like we just have a little bit. We have full throttle, lavish, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. We don't even know what that means. If you ask me to explain that, I could not explain that to you. Because it's so far out of our realm of comprehension, all we can gather is like, whoa. It is way more than I could even imagine. That's what he has done in his love because he made a move to us because we have no move to make. We have have nothing to do. We were dead. So it says in 8 through 9, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. I know there was a question in your week workbook. Uh, What part do works play? Zero. (laughs) No, we don't have anything to offer God. Faith is not a work. The basis is grace, and faith is the means by which you take hold of that. But faith is not a work. Deidre said faith is like how tightly you cling to the rescue. You can't rescue yourself, but you're, you're just hanging on by faith, right? So it's through, by grace, through faith. Um, Deidre said yesterday in her sermon, which I loved, um, in Nehemiah, when the people came back to God and they realized they had sin, they had been separated, they were not living according to what he had for them, and they came back, and their response, I loved how she said it, it was a full-body response. And when we read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, I, I also want to have a full-body response. I want to be so on my face, I didn't deserve anything except for wrath. I had a close relationship with God's wrath. And not because of me, not because of anything I thought, said, did, could have done, would have done. He pulled me and made me his own. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For, it starts with for, we are God's workmanship. For means salvation is from him, not from us or by us, but it's all from him, and it's for a purpose. He saved us for a purpose. This is my favorite part of the whole thing. If I stop here, I'm sorry that we didn't finish. Just tell you, Drew, we did. Um, We are made for a purpose, a great purpose. We are his workmanship. Workmanship in 10 is different than uh, saved by grace, not by works. And then here it says, we are his workmanship. Those are not the same. Those are two totally different words. They are different. They are not the same. Because God's workmanship is a created thing that God does for his purpose. Works are something man initiates and does for his purpose. So see, those are opposed. Opposite ends, and they're opposed to one another. God's workmanship is not achieved by good works, but it's the result of good works. I know you've had this this conversation, oh, faith and works, or works and faith. And I love what someone said. Um, the purpose of these prepared in advance works is not to work in them, but to walk in them. Because we know God prepared in advance for us to do. When? Before the foundation of the world. Do you think that's important to God? Yes. He 
predestined and adopted you into his family before the creation of the world. Also, he created good works for you to walk in. If he did that before he did this, I think it's important. I think it's very important. And so our workmanship, our, that, by the way, it's, again, the Greek, the English, they did a bad job, and whoever came up with English, I'm sure they were smart, but... Um, so it's a, it's a masterful artistry. And God says, we are his workmanship. We are his masterful artistry. We are for a purpose. You are for a great purpose that he prepared for before the mists of eternity for you to walk in this good work. And it is important. It is important how we walk right? It is important how we live and how we love. And our mission should be his mission. Since these are his works, they're not our works, they're his works in us. So if they're his works, they're for him because he always does what's best for his, his glory and our good. So if he thought of them and he created you masterfully, beautifully to walk in something, I think we should do it. And his mission is the Great Commission. His mission, Jesus said, last words before he ascended, go therefore into all the nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. That is his mission. So that's our mission. We do it differently. You have a context. You have a context. You bake. You serve. You teach. You clean. Whatever. But, but we all do it. And the reason we do it is because he's building a family. And he says, and I'm going to give you the cliff note version of the second pericope, is that you are fellow citizens, this is verse 19, fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together become a, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Did you know there's no I in church? That's really profound, isn't it? I know. He did not save you from all of that and prepare in advance before the mists of eternity, beautiful, masterful artistry just for you and just for you. No, he did it for us because he's building this gigantic global church. Global church. And until it's global, he's not coming. But I think we want him back. I think we want him to come. We say, come, Lord Jesus. And so we take his word as true and we understand where we were and where we are. And we think, I wouldn't dare live a day for myself when People are dying. People don't know. They're still under the tyranny of sin. He created me for a purpose, which is his purpose. And so Jesus summed it all up. Love God, love your neighbor. You don't get to pick your neighbor. Don't you hate that sometimes? <laughs> yeah, I do too. <laughs> but he 
said, love me, you have this vertical relationship, and love humanity. And so we live this out like the brilliant diamond under the black world. Okay, I love this. I hear a timer. That's my timer. I'm sure it is. But listen, um, the last thing, if we're going to rise up and be the church and be God's kingdom here, and we are going to be his ambassadors to bring these people around us that are dying and they're helpless and they're hopeless and they're harassed, and we're going to share this with them, then we do the most good. Warren Wearsby, last thing, he said, when the church is least like the world, it does the most for the world. And I love that. We are called to be those bright, sparkly, blinged out, amazing, mesmerizing diamonds. And we shine bright in the world so that other people can know. I remember the girl that read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 to me, my freshman year of college. And she, through God, through her, set me free from the tyranny of sin and works and death and so we say, glory to God. He is building his church. He is using us to do it. We are a masterful artistry for him. And we are called to be one, to rise and be the diamonds against the black velvet of our world. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for bringing your word to our hearts and giving us everything that we need to know in you. I thank you for these women, God, and I pray that you would ignite their heart for your glory and for your um, work that you have called them to. God, I pray, like Ruena said, that we would know um, what we are to do. God, I pray that you would work in us and you would work through us, that all we would do is walk in these beautiful works that you have prepared in advance. I thank you and I pray a spiritual blessing over all these women. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Wow. May the God of hope fill you with all love, peace, and joy as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now let's all stand and do the Lord's Prayer to get, say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, which art in heaven, how will be thy name? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And as John said, in John 17, 23, be blessed in the name of your Father who loves you as he loved his own son.